everyone. Thank you for joining today. This is the ESOP Guy. We are in the journey to an ESOP and beyond. Welcome to Season 5. And we're going to keep going with topics that kind of overlap between pre-ESOP and post-ESOP. Let's go ahead and kick off with this. The general status of these islands. You comprehend my meaning, sir? God! Men might be in charge, but he threatens me with there you go the men might be in charge first off the first like guess who that actor is right the men might be in charge it's anthony hopkins like one of the greatest actors um maybe of all time but you know at least somebody that i like a lot uh so this movie comes right from the historical account of the story of the mutiny of the bounty and yes i got here it's it's a 1984 remake of an old movie in the 60s and an old movie before that but really all based on a historical uh, account of a royal navy ship that moves into the south pacific ocean uh, around april 28th 1789 so we're we're kind of filtering in uh, merging in a little history and uh into the into the podcast as well as the movie as, as well but what what's the main thrust here it's the mutiny right the concept behind mutiny itself and we want to connect this today on a, in the topic of talking about your communication of your esop to your your key people and this is one of those this is one of those very very common common questions that we get as we go through the process, the journey to an ESOP with with clients that start asking the question, like, when should I tell my people? Um, and when that means is like, it could be my key people, it could be my entire employee base, but when should we tell them? Like, when should we invite them into this process of understanding what we're trying to do with the ESOP? Now, the reason I want to do the topic today is because I do think that this is something, and I've seen this collectively, like I won't point out to any one or two clients, but I see collectively across the board over the last several years that this is a this is an ongoing question that many, many companies have that are thinking about going through the ESOP process or are in the midst of an ESOP process. Or even, I think this also applies to companies that are already ESOPs and as they start to kind of um, communicate other things to their to their key people. Um, the main thrust here is how do you really avoid, you know, when we talk about a mutiny, I'm being dramatic, of course, but when we're talking about avoiding negativity, when you're actually trying to do something so positive. So let me give you a quick hypothetical example of what I, what I mean by that. And, you know, avoiding this idea that, you know, what, what, I think is human nature is that what employees do not know, like if there's no information at all and they know something's up, right? So hypothetically, they see the, you know, meetings, special meetings happening in the company. People are going, you know, behind closed doors. There's weird people that you haven't seen before that you might think, you know, who are they really as an employee? You're thinking, who are they? They're showing up to our company. And so people start to rumor and stuff starts to slip out in different ways, but nobody has really the information. So the, the main thing is, is that what happens typically is human nature is that, that without information, 
people become negative and there's a negativity of like, hey, this is this is going down, right? Um, something's going down and we better get ready for it, right? And one of the one of the things that can happen is almost the opposite. Like this is where it's such a travesty. It could be the opposite of of what we want to happen. Like what we want to happen is is the employees are super excited. Like we get to be part of this company as as beneficial owners for this long period of time. I mean, wow. So when we're contemplating that, we want that experience. And because there's not a lot of information being given or whatever the, the circumstances, um, what we want to do is avoid the the potential problem of, and we're going to call it the mutiny. And so in that, what we're going to do today is really get into that idea of, of how to go about this and answer the question of, you know, when should I tell my people about the ESOP? So as we think about that and get ready for the topic, what I wanted to kind of do is just draw us to like the, the podcast. And if you guys have questions about, you know, what the podcast is, please go to our website at journeytoanesop.com. I think there's a lot of information. If you are new to this podcast and you're following brand new, please go to our website and you'll find more episodes and there's really helpful information in there. There's also places for you to, you know, ask questions. You know, because we like to take some of those questions into actual topics and go through those as well. All right. So as we start off this topic, like what? This scene is all about like um, the mutinies taking place, right? And there's this chaos and there's this negativity, right? That we're that we're going back and talking about, and, and <clears throat> you know the idea is, you know, how do you how do you avoid that? You know, in the process, I mean, we want it to be the opposite. So the classic question here is like, when when should I talk to my people? What should I say? How should I go about that? So one of the things I want to start with was this idea of the difference between ownership transition in management transition. And I think it's important to be having ongoing conversations. Now we're going to kind of circle like the population of people into your key employee bubble first. I mean, let's just talk, talk about that first because um, a, a mutiny itself, if you think about it, has to be led by people. And the key leaders that you guys have groomed, you know, say for instance, to take over, in a management succession process, the key people that you're grooming, they are um, the ones that are going to lead potentially the mutiny or any negativity, right? Um, not to not to again make it too too much like the the mutiny on the bounty example, but the point is is that they need to be brought in to this conversation, and I think that to lead into that, and there are. Um, Companies, in my experience, that have done a phenomenal job of doing a succession, succession planning itself or management succession planning. And keep in mind, that has nothing to do with transitioning the ownership. And it may have elements of ownership transition, you know, and say a classic management buyout scenario where, you know, you're going to wrap up a succession planning with a stake of ownership. Or you're going to, in some cases, they wrap up some succession planning or they connect it to some type of synthetic equity program, like a phantom program, and, and really try to tie people in to the rewards of, of ownership 
Um, but, but keep in mind, a lot of companies don't do any of that type of thing. They just, they're grooming people in management succession planning. They're grooming people, sorry, for this idea of like taking over respective functional roles in the company that are going to be important and, and key. And ownership or management transition can take a very, very long time. Um, especially if you're going through this this kind of roller coaster, this up and down, back and forth of not having enough people to, um, you know, to, to have the depth of talent that you need. And in some cases, the the, per, the principal person can't find somebody that can actually do the thing that they're doing, you know, maybe the way they're doing it. And I would say keep, you know, that conversation as we talk about this, what we're, what we're trying to do is shift from the shareholder perspective. And this is where it's really important, you know, from an advisory standpoint, if you are using consultants and advisors, but I would, I would recommend try to get out of the mindset of being the shareholder and what's in it for you from an ESOP perspective and shift over to what's in it for the existing key managers and how that's going to be maybe short term, and also long-term. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But the succession planning part needs to be uh, you know, delineated between management. Now, ownership transition, as we contemplate an ESOP, is, is really not, how do I want to say this? It's not as um, important for the shareholders to under, like the, I'm sorry, the key managers to understand, um, for instance, in my opinion, the valuation that the shareholders are anticipating for the ESOP because they had nothing like in a sense, they're not really going to be participating in the sale of stock unless they have a prior agreement that, for instance, like a phantom program that says in the event that there's a change of control, then we will be um, provided X percentage of the purchase price. So in that scenario, they are going to have, you know, a, a sense of, of uh, benefit to the ownership transition. But if we make um, this conversation going towards the assumption that they really are just very good people, very good employees, that their employee agreements are, even if they ha- they don't have any employment agreements, but basically a salary, maybe a bonus structure is what you're, what you kind of have. Um, in that case, I think the conversation around the ownership transition as it relates to the ESOP itself isn't really as appropriate. And when it comes up and it, and it becomes like, hey, we want to know more about that, I think you, you definitely have to talk about um, with your key people and, and make some time to talk about these things in the process so that you don't leave them hanging and without the right information. So I think that's that's a big part of uh, you know communicating. But the problem is there's not a in our world, right? There's not like a one business culture that we can all speak to and say, hey, that that's how you should do this, right? You I think you first have to start off with what is your what are your core values within your leadership culture? And if you don't have any, let's talk about that for a second. Like your core values um, are really important from a leadership perspective, because within a few, say, keywords, like let's just take teamwork and integrity and, and which kind of wraps up honesty. Um, you could have, you know, work ethic. You could have, um, 
you know, being a, a contributor to back to the community, to our company or to our clients. There's so many core values and shaping those in your leadership groups are really important because they do establish some, I guess, some implied rules as far as how we're communicating. Not only that, it also establishes the who the leadership team really is in terms of uh, bringing on new leadership leaders into that group, training and, and growing existing leaders from maybe outside that key circle of people and from just the normal employee base. So who's getting promoted? When you promote somebody into that leadership group, I think you have to really be um, communicative and descriptive about what those cultural core values really are. Now, what I think what happens in any organization is what those core values really are are going to um, going to expand to the entire company, right? So, if for if, for instance, you have one owner who is super dictator like, and nobody can make a decision without that person you know, making the final decision, right? That's going to lead to a culture from the key group of people down into the whole rank and file that says, hey, we are not allowed to be autonomous and make decisions on our own um, without the key person saying yes or no. And so that's not bad or, I mean, wrong or right or wrong. It's more of an assessment of what your culture is. Um, we can't, let's go kind of, and we're kind of digressing into culture a little bit as it relates to ESOPs. We can't take an ESOP company or a company go through ESOP and say, you know what? That's not, that culture is not good for us. We're going to do a whole new culture. That's not the way it works. The way it works is we, we want to assess the existing culture of the company and try to, what the ESOP does is going to try to make sure that we incorporate the ESOP as a tool to enhance the culture. And the way we enhance the culture with an ESOP is we're basically giving the employees a stake in the value of the business going forward on a long-term basis. So that doesn't replace a culture that is, say, autonomous or not autonomous or dictatorial or, you know, I can't even say that word right. So it doesn't replace that, right? It only, um, we only can enhance what's already there. So as we start thinking about communicating, what we need to do is communicate um, in in the way that the cult, your existing culture should, um, you know, um, uh, I guess appreciate or, you know, be in alignment with so that there isn't like this, um, so there's an effective level of communication to, you know, who you're talking to. Now, one of the, the question that we're really answering is like, when should we be doing, you know, this communication? And um, I think as it, as it relates to the spectrum of cultures, and let's just throw this out from a a good, a good hypothetical. If my culture is on the very extreme end of open book management, everybody knows kind of everything, you know, most of the time. I mean, it's pretty open. Maybe they not, they don't know everybody's, you know, salaries, but they understand the financials. There's, there's a sense of like, we know where the company's trying to go. Um, that kind of spectrum of like everything, everybody in that culture, like they just get it. Like the company, the owners and the, and the leaders are sharing, you know, appropriately with everybody on, on a frequent basis. So that's one culture. The other end of the spectrum is kind of what I described. Nobody knows anything. Nobody, the shareholder, the main shareholder knows everything and isn't sharing anything with anybody. Right. So keep in mind, those are, those are going to be part of the way we make a decision on when we should share information through the ESOP process. 
And, and the goal here is to, you know, obviously not just avoid mutiny, right? The goal is to get people excited about the possibility of what's going to happen um, within the next, you know, say, relative time period of, of, of from now to the closing. And as we do that, we're wanting to, again, put ourselves back in the, in the mindset of the employees um, and then, again, circling into the key people. Some of the things I would say as we stay kind of closer to the management succession side. So again, keep that separated, you know, and just say ownership wise, there's probably not a ton of people that need to understand that in general. It may, your CFO may be involved in that conversation with understanding the valuation and the numbers because they're going to be involved. But in general, they may not have everybody. So we're staying on that, that one side of what I would say is more pure management succession. The first thing I ha- you have to deal with because we're going to be just talking about the um, the key managers, what's in it for me mentality, is we got to nail compensation down. Compensation in its multiple forms is going to need to be, as best you possibly can, um, established before you bring them into a conversation about the ESOP. Because I guarantee you, they're thinking it. If they're not asking it, they're thinking it. And they're wondering um, things like this. Um, let's pick on Bob. Bob sold 100% of his stock to the ESOP. And now suddenly he's not working as much after the fact. Or perceivably, he's not going to be working as much as he had. So I'm key manager, you know, let's just call key manager A, Um you know, I'm Sally and I'm taking over. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing, but I'm kind of making an assumption. I'm an employee, Bob's selling his stock. I'm going to be taking over some level of responsibility. What's my, what's on my mind? Well, um, how much am I going to get paid? How much I've been paid? How much am I going to pay? I don't even know what the responsibilities are, but I'm starting to think about like, oh man, Bob's not even around. I'm doing, I'm making all these decisions. So I would say in general, like as we start thinking about just what is the comp plan of your key people is really going to be important. And I will say also that there's only so much you're going to be able to do in the process of doing your ESOP for your compensation plan for your key people. Because if we use in the structure of your ESOP a stock appreciation rights program, it's going, we're not going to be able to disclose exactly what that's going to look like and even give it a lot of like distinct, um, uh, you know, numbers behind it until we close the transaction. I would say it's virtually impossible and it's really, um, not the best practice, right? To go and say to your key people, Hey, you're going to have a SAR plan and you're going to have all this, you know, potential op- upside opportunity. Um, you know, you could probably give them the concept of what it is, but when it gets down to the nitty gritty to get to affect a grant agreement under a SAR plan, we're going to, we're going to need to know after the closing, what was the net valuation that will help determine what the day two price of the, of the stock is going to be so that then you can calculate an estimate based on the vesting requirement of the SAR and the future value position of the SAR, what the potential dollar value of that SAR plan will be. Many SAR plans are going to be built 
um, with performance shares and retention shares, which means that that key person is going to have the opportunity each fiscal period to vest in the, in the SAR plan based on those requirements. And they're going to be performance related to the, to the, normally to the cash flow projections of the company measured by EBITDA. So in that planning, we don't know what, first off, what the day two price is. And we are going to want to make some time after the transaction when everything is closed and everything is trued up to better understand how, um, who's going to get what number of, of SAR shares. So, so one of the things about this is communicating that concept with the idea that that the timeline for them to understand that is going to come afterwards. I think the one thing that I would say for managers or for the shareholders that are transitioning to ESOP is keep this in your communication conversation going. Like the one of the reasons we chose an ESOP is because it's a flexible way for us to transition the first the ownership part of the stock. And then secondly, transit, you know, continue our transition with our management succession plan. We are not going anywhere over the next year after the closing. And because we're not, we want to make sure everything is mapped out correctly. And we want to have enough time to workshop these concepts with our key people to make sure we're all on the same page. That is going to hopefully buy you some time for the fill in the blank of what exactly that's going to look like. Now, what's going to happen in the planning process is you're going to have to plan, you know, from a base pay for each of these key people and anticipate the base pay with your succession plan. If there's a change in your succession plan where they're actually post ESOP going within the next 12 months, that person's going to take on a higher level role of responsibility. Then I would say you want to anticipate a increase in their base pay, potentially build a formula for, you know, what your existing bonuses is, bonuses are, and then what they will be going forward after that, depending on, on again, what their responsibility is. Um, it could be title driven. In some cases where this is so important, you're, you may have to hire a consultant when it comes to um, compensation planning. You know, I'm just saying it, I don't think it happens like that most of the time because I think people are pretty good at this normally before we do the ESOP. But if you, if you feel like you need to, um, it might not be a bad idea to do that. So you, I think you need to nail down a comp plan that includes base pay and profit bonus and then any other element of their compensation that can be nailed down in this conversation before, you know, as you start to, to bring them into the ESOP. Now I would say from a timing perspective, once that's really done, I would say that I prefer to bring the key people into the process before we do the site visit with the trustee and the valuation firm. And the reason is, is because as a sell side advisor, what I really want to do is I want to incorporate the knowledge base, especially with just, you know, like I started thinking about the key people. I want them in the presentation to um, have a say-so in, in, in conversation with the trustee. I want them to be part of the presentation with the valuation firm. And I want the valuation firm and the trustee both to see the depth of that, of that key talent pool, right? And that we're moving away from just reliance and dependence on, you know, maybe the one shareholder or two shareholders or whoever shareholders are 
um, if that is the total case, right? It may not be there, right? If it's not there, then of course we, we're not going to do that. But that's my preference in the win is to try to bring them in before the site visit and answer those questions. So there, there's going to be some things along the line here that we, we're going to want to think about as well. And this is just kind of generally, um, I would say back to the succession plan process. And I, and I really hit compensation hard because ultimately that's what's in it for them. Um, and outside of that, I think you got to anticipate the requirement of what that position means for the individual. So what I mean by that is, is, you know, it's not going to make sense for somebody to become the CEO of a company that is a very demanding job when they're going through a crisis in their life, right? Of course, we're just being kind of commonsensical here. Um, you know, if their core values are, you know, really, really um, built around, hey, I'm going to be going to every soccer game for my kid. And you're going to make them the CEO and have their travel responsibility going all over the country. It, it's not going to like make sense, right? So I think you really have to dial into not only um, not only can they do the job, um, are they are they qualified? Are they competent? Are they a good fit? Are they part of the new future of the company? When you're thinking about who the company is going to become uh, over the next five to ten years, are they a good are they a good transition for that? Is it going to be a good fit for them in in general as a person in their in their actual whole life? Are we asking them to do something that they feel obligated to do that's not really going to work with say their spouse or their their family situation? Maybe they have somebody in their family that you know has an illness and all those things I think are part of understanding that is this really going to work and vetting it out. Um, I think the the hard, like one of the hardest parts about succession planning in communicating this too, is like you might feel there are multiple candidates for a position and there might be some biases about like who, who should be really, you know, that person. There are organizational difficulties that happen personality wise. And, you know, you might feel like they're a good fit, but somebody else in your leadership team isn't going to respect that person. So there's dynamics there that need to be really ironed out. Um, I think one of the classic uh, fundamental things that anybody that does this work is going to tell you is, is get started as early as possible. And, and that takes us back to the ESOP. You know, I think sometimes people wait and wait for the ESOP to kind of manage through all these succession management succession issues. But I think that's a mistake. I think you got to start as soon as possible. Um, and one of the one of the personality types of you know when people do this really well, and you think, huh, you know, what kind of person is that that does succession planning really well? I think it's somebody that is in a key position, and they're trying to help somebody kind of come up to the, the job that they're doing, and they do not necessarily have a um, a high level of 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 psychological dependency on that position. So what do I mean? I mean, they don't really want, they don't necessarily, they like their job, they like what they're doing, but it doesn't define them, right? And I think that's what I've seen as a problem where people get caught up with, hey, this is, nobody can do the job the way I did. You know, no, nobody's on the planet as smart as I am in that, in that capacity or whatever. Um, I think that needs to be discussed, right? And that needs to be thought about. So that's one of the barriers to doing this succession planning early and that's the real advice is get it started early 
and give yourself plenty of time to do it. Now, I have done ESOP deals where we have had zero succession planning done. So I'm not saying you you can't do it this way and have you know a five-year plan on succession and then finally do your ESOP. Um, it, and the, the reason I'm saying that is because in those cases, basically, we're still very functional. The company's doing what they're doing. The owner sold. He's still he is still doing the job that he wanted to do before, and we haven't needed to have one because it's it's just working the right way. Um, it needs to be when you come down to succession planning. There needs to be a, a hardcore conversation with the people that are doing that job. How long do you want to be sitting in that chair to do the job that we have? Right. Um, and I think that's a really, you know, when I talk about doing it early, that can mean five years. That can mean, you know, 24 months before. It could mean whatever it is. But I think the idea is that you're going to gain some traction in communication by having these conversations early. And that's that's what I'm talking about as far as avoiding this idea of a mutiny is you've got to have very strong communication with your key people. And they got to feel, in my opinion, that the door is open to anything that they're thinking about. You know, if they're thinking, hey, I need, I'm I'm hitting that like ceiling. Like I'm totally, I've done this job, you know, maybe I'm the, the vice president of sales and sales director or whatever. And I've done it for this many years and I've done every single thing I could possibly think of. It's It's functioning wonderful. I've got great people under me. I need more of a challenge. If that high level talented person is thinking that, and you're not addressing that in open communication from a succession planning standpoint, you possibly will lose a very talented person because they didn't, you didn't know that they were thinking that. So you need to be asking these questions on a, you know, a very re- frequent basis, at least annually and saying, Hey, are you, you know, where are you at with, with your career and where you're going? Hey, by the way, do you know, we're thinking about potentially transitioning someday to maybe an ESOP? You know, what would your thoughts be? So those are ways to kind of build communication and really have, you know, this ongoing open communication that's going to be important. You know, within that, you can share the, as the shareholder, you know, kind of just directing this towards the shareholder, you can share like your vision of the legacy of the company. Now that word legacy with ESOPs is just thrown around, gosh, all the time, right? What is your vision for, you know, when we think legacy, sometimes we think, oh, the guy just wants the name of the company to be whatever it is for, you know, a hundred years. I'm talking about, you know, the whole idea of a lot of times when we do ESOPs is there's a, there is a purpose and a mission to the company that we want to be the legacy of that company. Like we are, we are known as a company to be the most reactive, um, business in that space with our customers and our customers know that and they come to us because we solve problems um, so quickly and helpful to their business and we've been known for that that's our reputation and and we want to we want to carry that on into the future and what an ESOP does is it allows us to continue the consistency of those efforts from that from that type of legacy you know, standpoint as the shareholder sharing with a key person. I mean, these are the things that you want to share with them. Like, Hey, this is what we're known for. This is what we want to keep doing. What do you think the company should be in the next five to 10, 15, 20 years and have those conversations? Because guess what? You know, that person might have just incredible 
um, insight into technology and how technology really might change the way things might be. And, and at least you're kind of wrestling back and forth with some of these um, forecasted visions and forecasted values of what the business will be. But ultimately, what what both you know both parts are doing, the shareholder and the, and the and the key person are there. They're kind of forming and shaping you know the company as it goes forward. That's legacy. That's what's beautiful about ESOPs. Like, get rid of these guys, these private equity guys, these strategic you know venture capitalists coming in, putting all this capital in the company. Get rid of them because you know what? They're just honestly, they just care about money. I'm being super super opinionated there, so please. Um, don't take offense. But the point is, is that they're there to make money on the increase in the per share value and maximize the return. And not saying that's completely wrong. I'm saying that, but that sometimes and many, many times loses the concept of what we're doing. So from a vision and a value standpoint, that if I'm a key person of a business, right? I'm thinking the reason I'm here in the first place is because I, I believed in the vision and the values of the shareholders. And I want to either, I'm going to stay here because I want to continue to perpetuate those. And you know what? I have my own. You know, like from my perspective, my business background, I started in corporate America, was able to navigate to an equity position in, in a uh, small company. And one of the reasons I did that is because I, I really think that small companies, mid-sized companies have so much more um, level of innovativeness and they allow people to be creative and innovative and plug that into the dynamic of the, of the way that they're building the future of their company. Corporate America cannot afford that. Corporate America wants somebody that can, you know, punch in their time clock, you know, move through their, their processes and procedures and not violate anything. And if you do, you're kind of like, you're not going to be politically advanced in those organizations. And, and, and frankly, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about ESOPs because we get to retain that type of, of passion and, and reputation and legacy in the business. I think that's a huge part of the communication part of management succession is because we want those kind of conversations to be just so normal and frequent in a business when we're going through this process. So, so one of the things about the ESOP that we get to communicate to the management team is, Hey guys, this is going, we get to keep going, right? We get to keep going with what we were doing um, that everybody really fell in love with at the beginning when they, when they signed on to this company. Um, as we go through the transition process, like one of the places I, I get questions about, like, when should we involve the team? I've already kind of mentioned the site visit. Um, you know, different team members, your key leadership team members are going to have a different role to play um, when you get down to it. But I would say um, as, as appropriate through the site visit, get through the closing. You're not going to want a lot of transition. You don't want a lot of people that are not owners in the in the closing calls before the deal gets closed. They're not going to need to be involved in the negotiations. But what I would say in the timeline is get them involved. You know, when we come out at the closing from a post ESOP standpoint, that can happen in a couple different ways that are honestly really, really valuable for everybody involved. So, you know, you can have them involved in, um, you know, being a champion of the ESOP, which sounds kind of, um, you know, nerdy or whatever, like, Yes, me, you know, this is, this is going to be good for all of us. They could be a champion and a leader on the ESOP committee that comes out of post closing. They can be responsible to be part of, of the team to train. You know, if we have some goals coming out of post ESOP, 
within this concept of financial literacy training, they could be part of that team. So helping you know them coming in and being part of that um, is going to be very, very helpful. But I think have a being prepared, I don't know what the, the, the adage is, but being prepared obviously is better. And if you have a very good idea of who's doing what in the next 12 months um, and be able to communicate that to your key people coming out of the transition uh, or coming out of the actual closing of the ESOP, I think that is a very preferential position to be in with, with your people. One of the areas that gets discussed here is also how do you vet the ESOP with your key people in, we'll talk about the rank and file after this because it's post ESOP, but how, how do you actually get on the table issues and concerns um, related to the ESOP so that there's, there's a sense of like, Hey, we get this camaraderie wise. We understand what's happening. Here's some questions. And, and one, one thing that's true about the ESOP world, and this is one of the reasons we do the podcast is that there just are a lot of misconceptions and myths around ESOPs. So when people start getting information about ESOPs as employees, key people, whether they're key people or employees, you have to know that there might be some bad information in there. And so one of the things you can do is have some workshop meetings with your people and do whether it's a key leadership team meeting, um, have maybe your advisor come in and do kind of a, a little bit of a workshop with ESOP 101 and I, I've done those where we've done it early in the process, maybe even before the site visit um, or maybe even after the site visit, but just something where, hey, this is coming together. We actually see as, as shareholders, we see this is actually happening. We want you guys to be prepared. So we're going to do an ESOP workshop. And in the ESOP workshop, we're going to um, just explain first off ESOP 101. Like what is an ESOP? It's a retirement plan. You know, what do you do? Like, how do the people get shares? I mean, just basic ESOP stuff that is going to be important to um, have them understand. So give them a base foundation education. Like, and again, I'm thinking my top five people, my top 10 people, my top three people, whatever. That's, that's the workshop. Now, out of that, what I would be doing in that meeting or having somebody do for you is to be asking open-ended questions. Like, what have you heard about ESOPs? And have, you know, hopefully there's a, a brave soul, you know, usually in a key management group, there's always a brave soul or multiple brave souls that says, look, I got a question. Um, this is my question. And here's my concern. So when I've done this before, I've actually unveiled some, you know, what I would call ESOP anxiety within some of the ranks of people that nobody really had thought about on the on the shareholder side because it's not something that you know they have put themselves in that position to think about so for instance am i going to lose the opportunity to be promoted in this position that i thought i was getting that's a huge place of anxiety right so so let's address those and put them on the table and be prepared to talk about hard things and then some of them might not be hard some of them might be oh you, you know this is actually how it works and, and i think that's a really good way to um, provide solid information around the esop and get people up to speed on it um, i think the last thing to think about is is other aspects of their of we think i think the problem a lot of times is we we get so myopically focused on ESOP, we forget that there's probably other things happening in their lives. And so from a, uh, a key employee perspective and an employee perspective, I think it's the idea of understanding the big picture for the employee. 
And one thing I would warn you in this is, okay, first off in that regard, just, just be open-ended, like just talk about everything that maybe not ESOP related. It might have something to do with, you know, the, the growth of the company, the, the, the potential for future advancement in general, um, you know, the company's new, it's like state of the union stuff for the company. So they know what's happening in the company. Be prepared to talk through those things I think are helpful. Um, and that's, I think that's part of having, you know, a culture that, embraces communication but also you know looking at things like 401k versus the ESOP you know those are some practical things that they're thinking about from a retirement plan standpoint hey what's going to happen to our 401k hey what's going to happen to this other element of of what we were getting before are we losing that are we you know what are we getting here in terms of total benefit you know to the to us as employees so these are good conversations and I will tell you that There are things that you can talk about with your whole employee group before the ESOP closes, but not, to be honest with you, not a ton. There's going to be a lot more to talk about after the ESOP closes, which we're kind of dedicating a lot of space in this year on the podcast to talk about that. So, so keep all that in mind as we, as we think about it. Um, we definitely want to encourage you as you go through this journey to an ESOP, um, to be prepared, hire the right people. And so as we, as we think about this, you know, idea behind um, avoiding a potential mutiny. Um, I think just know that you're not alone, that every company has key people, every company has an employee group. And this is a question that gets asked all the time. So thanks so much for joining today. And we will see you on the next step on this journey.